The following is an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by President of Applied Vision Works, Don Hadley. An in-depth look at how Don and his team help businesses reach their long-term goals. Here's the host of the Building a Leadership podcast, Don Hadley. This is Don Hadley with Applied Vision Works. We're doing another podcast, Building a Leadership Culture. And we have a unique individual, Kenzie Clark. I actually met her through her father, who actually is a client that works for a private business in Gastonia that's a client. And it's been interesting getting to know her for a lot of different reasons, especially knowing her father. I think she's actually the new and improved version, which is pretty cool. So um, so how old are you, Kenzie? I'm 25. 25. So I'm 55, 30 years older. And part of what I'm trying to do is to learn to speak 25, because if I don't learn how to speak that, people won't listen. So she owns a company called Able Transition, and she provides a path forward for individuals that have disabilities. But what's really important or valuable about that is she spends a lot of time working with businesses and within businesses, because a lot of organizations in developing and building their culture have employees, have people that need help with this. And I found it interesting talking to her because a lot of the concepts of transition she uses with individuals actually is similar to some of the principles we use in transitioning um, cultures of organizations. So I think this will be an interesting discussion. Absolutely. So, Kenzie, why did you agree to come on the podcast? What was it that motivated you, encouraged you, is interesting? Or, or you, did I pressure you into it? What's the, what's the deal? I think being 25, young female business owner, um, the world of business was very unfamiliar to me. My background is special education. So my undergraduate degree is in special education. My master's degree is in transition. So the process of moving individuals with disabilities from high school to post-secondary um, employment, independent living, and post-secondary education. And so as I've gotten to know Don and we have had conversations about business, what my business looks like, the business strategy, it's kind of really reshaped the way that I think about doing my business And I wanted to come on and have this conversation because I think it's important for young generation, millennials, Gen Z people, as well as young females who are trying to be entrepreneurs, understanding how to do business in a way that is smart, in a way that works for them, um, ultimately to produce a flourishing business and then hopefully a flourishing personal life as well. So let me go back as you were first starting to to share kind of your background. It sounds like what you're doing is more of a calling than a decision to get a job or have a business is my sense of it. Is that accurate? That is absolutely accurate. So with my... Wow, what a smile. Yeah. So with my... um, I really am passionate about it. In college, when I was in undergraduate studies, I worked with a program called Scholars with Diverse Abilities. And it's a program at Appalachian State University. It's a two-year program where individuals with intellectual disabilities come to campus, live on campus, and they get a two-year certificate. So they are included into, you know, just college community and society. And I saw the incredible impacts of when you see a person with a disability, not as other, but just as a person who has feelings and dreams and desires and abilities, but the real value of transition of that college experience of preparing for adulthood, right? College is for a reason. People need to grow up. There are decisions (laughs) that need to be made. There's a lot of maturing that happens, Uh right? And you change as a person. And so why should people with disabilities be left out of that? They need that just as much, if not more. And so I saw individuals come to college for two years and By the time they left, they were a different person. The incredible gains they had made. But 
as I began teaching in the public school system, I love the school system. I love being an educator, but I saw this this need of where is the preparation for the future? You know, we're working on what's called an individualized education program. We have goals. We're teaching them. We're doing all of these things. But why aren't we preparing them for the future? Why aren't we talking to their parents about the important Medicaid waivers, the financial aspects, the legal attorneys they need to be speaking with, as well as just planning out for housing, transportation? It's it's a very So that's large what you world. were seeing in the public school system that yes, you were in. Yes, I was seeing so many parents ask me this question, what is next? What you is know, next? We're here when they're 21, because if you have an intellectual disability, you can be in high school until you're 21. So when they graduate at 22, what happens? The federal government, the law, IDEA, doesn't guarantee them any services after they exit. Does that mean they're going to sit at home all day on Facebook? Are they, are they going to be able to get a job? Many people are turned down. Um, it's just this, what's the path forward? There, there's fear. There is a lot of unknowns. And so with my master's degree from the University of Kansas in transition, I have this foundation of understanding the whole system and being able to communicate that to parents, boil it down, and really provide them with a sense of peace in what can feel like a really overwhelming world. I like you, the, the, the phrase sense of peace because as you're talking, I'm thinking, gee, not just people with disabilities, anybody that doesn't know what's next, anybody that doesn't know how to transition – Anybody that is just going to sit at home, it's problematic. And that's, you don't have peace. It's an unsettled feeling. Yes. And especially if you're the parent of that person. If you have a job, if your child needs to be cared for and needs someone at home and they are no longer able to go to school, who's going to stay and care for the child? Are you going to have to stop working? It it really affects the family as a whole. And I think also understanding that individuals with disabilities are no different than you and I. They have dreams. They have desires. And they should have a say in their life. They should have a say in what they want moving forward and to be able to access a more independent and autonomous life. So let me ask you this. Let me go to the other side of the equation because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you mentioned your calling and kind of what pulled yes. you into this, what's motivating you at some level. You mentioned earlier reshaping the business. So it sounds like you kind of had a view of business, but that's changed. What's kind of the before and after? What's Yes. So I think I saw business as a very um, scary, intimidating, it's not for me. I don't really know what I'm doing. I feel like I have a lot of skills, um, but I didn't know if they matched up with owning a business. I didn't know necessarily what that even entailed. I think what I had seen before was, you know, you start a business, you pay a web developer to make a really nice website, you get a marketing team in, um, and I had none of these things, right? (laughs) Um, It was just me by myself starting something that I was passionate about. And so I think in speaking with Don, I've realized how I need to structure the company up front regarding price points for my clients, understanding, you know, where I want the business to be in the future, how the impacts and the decisions I make now will impact down the road. But then also understanding that I could start now. There are ways with um, social media, the way the world is now with places like Wix and Squarespace, you can make your own websites. You can advertise to people through all of these, you know, Facebook Instagram, Twitter, I think I realized that I could step forward into this business and I didn't have to be scared and I could dream about the long term, right? I could smartly plan for the future, but it's having that passion for me is what drove me to really wanting to build this in a way that is um, thoughtful and in a way where I can make decisions now that will hopefully impact my company for the future, to have a better future, to be able to reach more people, more families, and support them long-term. What's your dream? I mean, 5, 10, 20 years. It wow. Is, yeah. I, and the reason I'm interested in that is I, that's what is what drives us, so whether we get exactly there or not. So I think 
for me, I would love to see multiple ABLE transitions around North Carolina, South Carolina, the South, and have transition specialists. So that's like essentially what I am, a transition specialist, working with families, consulting with them, helping them create what's called a person-centered plan moving forward. I would love to also be working alongside of businesses, helping to coach them and give them information on what's called competitive and integrated employment Mm -hmm. and seeing that based on research and long-term studies that hiring people with disabilities, the right person, right? Not any person, but the right person for the job creates long-term higher employee retention, higher revenue, better community perspectives. It's all positive. And so I would love to be able to work with small businesses in the triangle and beyond and see people with disabilities working across different industries, right? Not just in a coffee shop or at a restaurant, but across the industry based on their abilities. And to really see a society that is more inclusive, that is flourishing. I told someone the other day, in five years, I would love to be able to have event nights where I can invite business owners and businesses to come to a dinner or an event, a gala, Uh and have a individual disability and an employer speak their story and say how, you know, their employment has gainfully improved the business, but also the individual's life. And then hopefully have 10 people there to be interviewed, right? For a job. I think that when I think about the future, I think about long-term big goals, big dreams and changing the fabric of our society and our So you community. mentioned not just coffee shops, like I, there's a coffee shop in Wilmington. Yes. What, what's the name? I can't um, remember. Biddy and Bows. Biddy and Bows. And my daughters love that coffee shop and they'll give me Christmas gifts from there. Yes. Um, so I've heard coffee shops, car washes. Yes. Or some restaurants I've heard as places for people with disabilities. What are some other industries that have used people with disabilities that are you think are viable that could be very great places for them and the employer? I think across industry. So when okay. you when you look at people with disabilities, there's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. If you even look at just at the autism spectrum, you have individuals who are able, who are higher functioning and who can work. They just might have some social deficits. And then you have individuals who might have, um, be more impacted by their disability. But I think you realize they can work in retail, absolutely restaurants, coffee shops, car watches, but businesses, front desk managers, receptionists. Okay. Um, there are people I know who can code, who have autism. There are people I know who wow. can create websites and be web developers. So I think it's not putting these people in a box and saying, you know, this is the only industry you can work in. It's really seeing that if you give the individual high expectations and let them dream, yeah. they will run with it and they'll go where they want to go. My dream was to work with individuals with disabilities because I saw their potential and I see their abilities and their capacity and I want them to be able to change the world long term, right? Because I think if everyone doesn't have a seat at the table, then we're missing something as a society, right? Well, part of what it, what I hear you saying is get me to think about, I think like Rain Man, some of these other movies where somebody has a disability, part of my, you know, Rain Man was amusing, it was a fun movie, but also there's a misrepresentation, I think, in a lot of these movies Absolutely. that doesn't show reality. And to Absolutely. me, part of what you're bringing is a realistic view where they think, feel just like all of us. It's yes. just they've got to take maybe a different path in some ways, but it's the same journey or the same adventure. A hundred percent. I think there's a misconception, right? If you don't know a person with a disability, if they're not in your life or in your worldview or in your sphere, you're not going to understand. I think if you meet someone who has a disability, whether that be Down syndrome, autism, whatever it may be, you will realize if you grow an actual friendship with them, you are way more alike than different. They have fears like you have fears. They Mm -hmm. have goals, dreams, desires. They like Netflix and Hulu. (laughs) And, you know, their their world isn't that different. And I think that that is why we need them at the table, especially in business. 
because I think the way that business goes, society goes, right? And mm-hmm. so if we are more inclusive in our hiring practices and being ethical and having these people as a part of our business community, then I think that changes. It has it has ripple effects. Yeah. So let me – two things. Did we ever talk about the Indiana Jones view of uh, business ownership? No, we have not. Um, there's a uh, – I don't know if he's still president of Babcock University. They have an entrepreneurial program. And he was up in front giving a talk one time, and they asked him what his his definition was of owning a business. And he said, well, I think of it kind of like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones falls down this dark hole, can't see anything. He's feeling his pockets. He's maybe got two matches. He's got a handkerchief, and, you know, and he's just feeling his way along. And I think, you know, a lot of business leadership, um, business ownership is less about knowledge, skill, and more emotionally about the self-awareness and ability to wade into that unknown and to learn as you go. I would absolutely agree. That has been my experience. I think beginning Able Transition, I was incredibly excited, enthusiastic, but also there were so many unknowns. And as I've gotten into it for several months at this point, I started in um, late August and it is now February. Surviving. yeah, there, there was a there was a point when my husband called it imposter syndrome, <laughs> where I was like, "Can I do this? Will people yeah. take me seriously? Do I know what I'm doing?" This just immense self doubt, even yeah. though I do have the skills, right? I have the degree. Yeah, I've had the experience. Um, I have clients who are able to say, "You know what you're doing." Yeah, but it's just this sense of being able to steer yourself and have um, self awareness uh-huh. of what you need when you need it and and the encouragement of having people around you to encourage you to not be alone on this journey. Um, that's been really important is, you know, meeting other entrepreneurs, being engaged in different organizations and groups where I feel like, okay, we're all doing this. We're all Indiana Jones. We are, we are feeling our way through. Um, there are moments where it's scary and there are moments of, will this work out long term? But I think it's, it takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of thoughtfulness in how am I going to do my work well so that you know when these times come i can i can kind of get through does that make sense yeah it does I, it, part of the way i think of it is, is hearing you is i've had to learn to enjoy the unknown if yes. i see it as something to get through or fearful or even as a neutral is i'll burn out at some point if i mm-hmm. see this hey what a great opportunity to try this here's something new haven't had to deal with it or it's a little different spin then it becomes a whole different ballgame. I also find the people around me relax a little bit. Yes. Um, you said something about encouragement. Has, and I don't want to know names, but has there been anybody that's tried to discourage you from doing this where they've said, don't do it, this is a problem, you're taking too much risk, you need to learn more? It, no. Have, you haven't. Interesting. Actually, that and is I cool. think I think it's because what I'm doing, no one else is really doing at this point. Well, but isn't that horrible? You, you don't. If nobody else has done it, there, there's some reason why. Yes, and it's interesting because there are transition organizations on the West Coast that I've looked up. There are a couple of people in North Carolina who um, work with transition age, but it's not necessarily the main goal of my business and my company. So I have felt very much alone in these uncharted territories <laughs> um, of even looking at trying to do a market analysis of, you know, the cost that I should be charging my clients. There's nothing to compare what I'm doing to in North yeah. Carolina. So I've had to re- reshape my brain to be excited for the unknown. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and trust in the process. I've definitely had families who have children with disabilities, whether they are young or old adults, Everyone has encouraged me that this is needed. 
And I've had wonderful people in the community come alongside of me and say that the community needs this. We need you. And so they've been incredible voices. So I've been fortunate enough to not have the discouraging voices in my ear. Nice. If anything, the discouraging voice is my own. Uh-huh. You know, it's the seed of doubt that yeah. that, that can that can creep up. Well, um, we can be our own worst enemies. So that's oh, very important not to let that happen. Yes. So. And then I think what I've been trying to do is I've ha- I have a notebook and I'm reflecting on all of the incredible things that have happened for my business so far. Because the days that I do get discouraged, I can look back and say, no, yeah. this, th- these things have happened. And Tell me more. Say that again. I, I, that's interesting. You're keeping a notebook of yes. what? I'm giving a notebook of all the incredible things that have happened. So, for example, okay, when um, I started this business, I didn't have to pay a lawyer fee because of a connection I had. I didn't have to pay the LLC fee because of a connection I had. My cousin is a graphic designer. I was talking to her about website development, and she said, I'll do it for free. I'll do your website. I'll do your marketing. And all of these crazy things are happening for free. I'm not having to pay. And then I meet some individuals in Raleigh who have connected me with so many resources and so many people. Um, And I'm just meeting people along the way that are supporting me, that are believing in my business. And my business has made so many strides. In the month of January, I've worked with five clients. And I started in late August. And I'm starting to do more informational sessions. And people are hearing about me, not through me reaching out to them. And so every time something like that happens, I write it down because I need to remember that what I'm doing is important and that it's working. So on the days where it's hard, I can look back and say, you know, this day might be difficult, but look what's happened. And then also looking at my clients and seeing their growth and their success and trusting that what I'm doing is for a purpose. So it it, it sounds like for our listeners, one of the takeaways might be keep, keep a success notebook. Absolutely. It will encourage you on days that are hard and it will remind you that what you're doing is important. And I think when you do have success stories and no matter what your work necessarily might be, writing them down because it's very meaningful and very weighty because a lot of times we forget, right? Yeah, we do. We forget the little things that happen. And I'm trying not to forget the little things that happen because they're important and all the little things surmount to lifelong, right? Well, I once heard the little things are the big things. They are. And that is wonderful. I, you remind me when I first got in business, I heard of a guy that had an extra closet in his house. And so what he did is he put a chair in the closet and he took awards and different things he'd won and successes. He'd put them up in the wall. When he has had a tough day, he'd go sit in the closet and he'd look <laughs> around at his awards and different things. And he'd remind himself, just keep going, keep chugging. In fact, my grandfather used to say that a lot of times long-term success is very simply a matter of short-term survival. Yes. And so I think all these uh, feeding ourselves gets to be such an important endeavor. Yeah, and so. what we what we speak to ourselves is what we're going to put out, right? And I think what we do with our days becomes what we do with our life. And so if the little things I do every day can be written down and I can be encouraged and know that my business is changing, it's growing slowly, right? And having having the full big picture of good things take time too has also been something I've been telling myself. If I want this to be a really thoughtful business, a business that creates large impact. And so I want it to take time. I want it to build smartly. I think I want to build the business in a way where every day has purpose and where long-term I'm able to support families and individuals in a way that it is impacts their life forever. So I want to be intelligent. I want to be smart. I want to be thoughtful about what I do and not haphazardly trying to survive, trying to put money in my bank account, you know? That's powerful. So let me get into something that we may have to to edit this out. It's up to you. But you've used the word business a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned not padding or something, your bank account. 
I know you and I at one point had a discussion, not for profit versus business. Yes. And I have some pretty strong opinions, but it, I think you've made the decision to be a for-profit business. Yes, I have made that so decision. So do you mind sharing some of that? Yes. So originally, this is going to get down to the beginning and the origins of this okay. business. Okay. Back in June, July, getting ready for back August start? Back in April. Back in April. Okay. So back in April, I got to a place of I'm finishing up my graduate degree. I knew I didn't want to continue teaching. I loved teaching, but with the way that the way that the school system creates funds. I just, I didn't feel, I felt really supported by my individual school, by the principal I have at my team. Okay. But long-term I just saw the fact that, you know, money was going out of special ed and I didn't feel like the students had what they needed and I didn't have what I needed to be fully successful. So I started thinking about, should I go back next year? Should I leave? What should I do? It was very indecisive. And I had a dinner. Um, there's a, a, a gentleman who's an elder at our church and he he actually consults with businesses and nonprofits. And someone said, you need to go meet with him to see if there is a business that you can work for that has something to do with transition. So I go over to his house for dinner with him and his wife and some of his kids. And I'm telling him about, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. Do you know any businesses I could work for? Do you know any organizations? And in this moment, he, he's a very thoughtful person and he just was really quiet for a second. And he looked at me and he said, I think you need to just start something of your own. Interesting. I don't think there is anything like this. And what was your gut reaction to that? What? <laughs> I came here to ask you if you knew of a business I could work for. I'm not trying to start anything. And this is in April, okay? So okay. it's really funny and looking back, it's not even been a year. And um, we had this whole conversation and he said, you could be a nonprofit, you could be a for-profit business, but this is necessary. And he has a personal connection. He has a nephew who has Down syndrome. And so he understands this world a little bit. And I got home. My husband wasn't able to come because we had just adopted a puppy. And so uh-huh. I went to dinner. I come home. He's with the dog. And I walked in. He was like, how was your dinner? Like, does he have any connections? And I looked at him and I said, he wants me to start my own business. And my <laughs> husband was quiet for a minute and was just like, well, okay. Um, <laughs> I love it. And through that process um, from about I would say about May to July, I was still indecisive of should I go back to teaching? Should I do something else? And then in about July, I had just a couple of realizations of I need I need to move on and I'm going to start a business. So I actually went to a, an attorney and we had a long conversation of this is what I'm thinking about. I think I should probably be a nonprofit because I can, you know, People can donate to me and it will be better to be able to start. And then she said, you know, the paperwork is very strenuous and you can absolutely do that. But you could become an LLC in two weeks. We can file the paperwork today. And so through having that conversation with her, I was like, okay, well, let's just start out. I'll start out as an LLC. I'll try to do a little bit of work with clients and see if it sticks, see if it works. And then maybe become a nonprofit down the road. But as I've as I've walked through this process, I've realized that I can do more because I am a for-profit business and I don't necessarily have to meet specific standards with um, having a board and all these things. I think nonprofits are wonderful. I think for the work that I'm doing, the for-profit works. The only wrestling I've had is with equitable services. So um, I think it's just because of my passion and my heart. Now, now what does equitable service mean? Yes. So equitable services for me means that people who, there are, individuals with disabilities who were in my classroom who were homeless who were in the foster care system who had 
came from very low socioeconomic background, but they also needed this information, right? This information changes lives long term, yep. preparing for a transition, preparing for adulthood. So if everyone needs it, if I charge an exorb not exorbitant, but if I charge a certain amount that they can't, that would be exorbitant to them, they still need it. How do I get it to them? So I've been wrestling with, do I offer a sliding scale for people under a certain amount? And that's what I think, I, that's kind of where I think I'm at at this point, because I want all people who have a disability or have a child with a disability to be able to access this information. Okay. So would a nonprofit limit your ability to do that? Is that? It would, it would a little bit. And I think a nonprofit would, would eliminate the ability where families who can pay would be able to be a source of generating ongoing revenue. Okay. But but there have been people who have said maybe you can open a nonprofit sector for equitable services for families who can't pay. So I'm still in the place of figuring that out, I would say. I mean, I know of some that'll have a for-profit and a nonprofit, but it sounds like at least at the moment what you're saying is by being a business, a for-profit, you've got more flexibility, room yes. to, maybe more sustainability economically as an yes. organization. And I think I, it provides me a space of, I can think more long-term and autonomously about the business, about what's going on and, and making decisions that I think are best where I feel like if I brought in other people who don't even understand the disability industry and don't understand my clientele, they would be making decisions more than I would be making decisions. I, this is part of what I've seen. If you get ruled by committee, now again, this is not an indictment against nonprofits, but part of what I've seen, you get ruled by committee and, and it, it can be real problematic for a lot of reasons, particularly with a startup business or a business that's doing something different. Yes. And but, I think I've seen um, nonprofits that work wonderfully, that mm-hmm. have the right board, mm-hmm. but you have to get the right board. Yeah. And that process is really complex. And you have to have people who are going to be really committed to the cause. And I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to be on a board for Able Transition if we had a nonprofit sector who didn't care about what we did, who was just really good at finances, right? I want people who are going to want to engage with this. So at this point, what I have been doing is I've had really generous people who have donated income to the business, okay. and I've been able to use that and give discounts. So part of what I, have you considered having a board for your private business? Not at this time. Okay. But I'm, you know, up for suggestions of whatever, what do, what do you think well, about it? One reason I'm asking this is I've got some clients, private business, and what they'll do is they'll get, they'll get people in a similar industry, people outside the industry. They'll get people that know them, and they'll get them together four times a year. They present the business plan, what the results are, how it's going, so on and so forth, and they get feedback. So while the decisions of the board are non-binding, they can't get fired because they own the business, they take that advice, and it's a way of double-checking and having devil's advocate. Yes. And a lot of them, you know, some of them will pay them well, but quite frankly, a lot of them say, let me buy you a good meal or make you a good meal, and then the next day for a half day, let's meet off-site, then let's talk through some of this. So to me, that's a great way to get input, but also do it in kind of a group team yes. form where you can debate more effectively. I've thought about having a think tank come together. Yeah, exactly. That's of, what it is. Um, having families who have parents who have kids with disabilities, individuals with disabilities, mm-hmm. business owners, just coming together in, in a similar room and saying, what do you need? Yeah. I think what I've realized is, you know, I have close people in my life who have disabilities, but I do not have a disability myself. I do not have a child with a disability. So what's been really important to me is listening to my clients more than anything. Yeah. So I've sat down with the families and said, hey, what would you want to see from this business? What do you need? What does this community need? And I think I've realized if I let them own what I'm doing a little bit more and they can speak into it, I'm able to do so much more and have a better pulse on what's actually going on in the community. So you're not building a business that may or may not work 
you're not using logic no. to figure it out. You're actually going to who needs it and letting them help drive influence what will actually work and make sense yes. long-term for them. And I'm that, asking I think questions. That's been, so you've really got the board just in a slightly different format. In a, in, yes, I would say. A little bit less formal. Very less formal. Yeah. Um, for, for example, I was meeting with a woman who has a son with a disability and was talking about what I have a resource guide. And so the okay. resource guide is about 40 pages. It's an incredibly in-depth document about the education system, post-secondary education, future employment, independent living, and lots of information, community partners, trusted advisors that I will send my clients to. And I was talking to her about this and, mm-hmm. you know, all of my clients get this as a part of the packet as part of different packages. And she said, you know, what would be really helpful for me. I'm always afraid of what I don't know. That's always a fear. If, if there's something I don't know that I need for my child, if I don't know it, A, how do I know I don't know it? And B, if I don't know it and it's going to impact his future negatively, like I need to know it. So she said, if you had an online platform where you could put your resource guide as like a subscription and people wow, could, that would be neat. and you could update it because policy changes, right? There was some information that happened with Medicaid was going to be privatized. The General Assembly adjourned and all of the changes that were supposed to happen are no longer happening. And there's kind of like a stall out with with what's going on now. And so I was like, that could be something I speak about on this platform. I could have my, you know, digital resource guide, but then also have monthly or every other week blogs and specific podcasts about what's going on in this world, updates and the changes that are made. And she said that would give me peace of mind because I could know it's it's like, you know, going out to Panera and have paying for a meal if if it was going to be like that much money a month and I would have peace of mind and I could know I could access everything I need to know for my child. I would feel so much better. That's powerful because, again, going back to a comment you made early on about people having peace, Mm -hmm. you know, it's – in fact, I heard peace one time is not necessarily knowing all the answers but realizing that's okay. And so if you're a forum where – 99.5% 99.5% of stuff is getting nailed, then that will give people peace and peace of mind. Yes. Yeah, so I've been working with my web developer on this portal, and it's going to be launching in about two weeks. Oh, that's exciting. That yes. is cool. So how would people get to it? Is there like they go to a... So they go to my website. What's your website? It's abletransitionconsulting.com. Able transition to Cons- transitions. Able transition, no S. No S. Abletransitionconsulting.com. Cool. And you go on there, uh, there's plan. it's going to be coming up in about two weeks. It'll have plans and pricing. You go on and choose your plan, it's either a monthly or yearly subscription. And then you are a member, and once you create a login, you have access to all of the information. And what's your email if they have a question or My something? My email is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I-E, at abletransition.com. Cool. And transition, no S. No S. I love it. So no S. This is the no S program. Yes. So so this is probably a good point to conclude our first podcast. We're going to be doing a second one with Kenzie that'll be different, kind of a different angle or cut. But we're here talking with, with her on building a leadership culture. I'm Don Hadley with Applied Vision Works. You just got Kenzie's email and also the website. And I think it's very important that if you need help or, quite frankly, somebody that you know, make sure you get in contact and see what can happen. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by Don Hadley, owner and president of Applied Vision Works. Questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision works.